Some of you may remember the comedian Yakov Smirnoff. He said when he first came to the United States from Russia, he wasn't prepared for the incredible variety of products available in all the American grocery stores. He said, on my first shopping trip, I saw powdered milk. You just add water and you get milk. And then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water and you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder and I thought to myself, what a country. (laughs) I love the way that he puts that. I thought about that this week as we talk about the idea, or not just the idea, but the importance of the calling that we have received as children of God. It's the most important calling you will ever get. It's the most important calling that you will ever say yes to. Because when you say yes to the calling of Christ, it will make all the difference in your life. Amen? Somewhere along the way, I think we've become convinced that Christianity was just easy. Just add water and voila, you have instant Christianity. All you have to do is just go to church once in a while, say a few prayers, read your Bible from time to time, and you are good to go. I have punched my card, I have punched my church ticket for the week, and I'm good. It is easy to reduce Christianity down to just that. And I will say this morning, when we do that in our minds and in our life, it is a far cry from the calling that Jesus has issued to us. You know, somewhere along the way, we think that we can just go on living our own way. We can make life the way that we want it to be, and you can just have it your way, and everything's going to be good. But is that really what Jesus intended I mean, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? I thought about this question this week. Is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? Let me ask you again. Is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? Did you catch the phrase this morning in the song, I'll never know how much it cost. I want you to think about that for a moment. We'll never know how much it cost. The life that we live as Christians, we never know. We can't even grasp what God has done for us. But he's been good to us. Amen? He's good to us not just today, but he's going to be good to us tomorrow and day after. And every day of life, God is good. And the life he calls us to is a life of worship. A life that's not just contained to this room because the worship that he wants us to give back to him is everywhere. It's to be your life 24-7. And so when Jesus calls his followers, he calls them to count the cost of discipleship. I want you to think about it this way. A disciple is a student. It's one who learns. It's someone who follows a master. It is someone whose life 
is to be shaped by the teaching of the master. It's someone who becomes like the master in every way. You stop and think about that for a moment. As you thumb through the pages, page after page after page of Scripture, and you look at the life that Jesus lived, let that sink in that this is my life. This is what I'm called to. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. You see, a disciple is molded and shaped into the image of his master. And I want to get this thought out at the very beginning. There's not a one of us here this morning that is good enough to be a disciple of Jesus. The only way to have the heart of a true disciple is to give yourself heart and soul to Jesus. And that's why the last four weeks we've looked at the truths. I surrender. I serve. I live. I give. Those are not just four simple truths. Those are four truths that Jesus says, this is the life you're called to. Not just right now, but it's a way of life. I had a Bible professor at ACU that put it this way. Christianity is not just a part of my life. It is a way of life. I want you to look back in Matthew chapter 4. And I want you to listen to these words at the calling of the first disciples. In chapter 4, it begins with the temptation of Jesus. And then in verse 11, we see that the devil left him and the angels came and attended to Jesus and ministered to him. And then Jesus begins to preach. And then as he began to preach and teach, he taught this one message that encompassed everything. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or some of your versions may say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is right here among us. And so as Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee, in verse 18, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and the other Andrew. They were fishing. They were fishermen. Uh, Dropped a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed Jesus. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They're in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left, and their father, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee. And here's what he's doing as he's going his way. He's teaching in the synagogues, He's preaching the good news of the kingdom, and he's healing every disease and sickness among the people. He's busy, isn't he? I mean, he is going about, and he is not just business as usual, he is changing lives, okay? And as he's doing that, some people are just amazed. Some people are just astonished. Look at this man. Look at all the things that he's doing. And others are still questioning, is this really the one called Jesus? And so they're a little skeptical about what they're seeing. But regardless, what we see is he is changing lives. Folks, listen to me. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to make you feel good. 
Jesus didn't just die on the cross so you can sit here this morning and think, man, I got it great. I'm a child of God. Jesus died on the cross so you can be like him. So you can be changed. So you can be transformed and molded and shaped into the image of your master. Bless you. That's why he died on the cross. But my question is this. Are we living a changed life? I think that's a question we wrestle with every day. Am I presenting to the world a changed life, a changed person in who I am? And so in verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed Folks, we still have people today in our midst. We still have people today in our world that are sick from diseases. We still have people today that struggle with this thing called life. What do we do? See, as a disciple of Jesus, we begin to see, man, here's here's my master I mean, here's my teacher, here is the one who is saying, whatever your disease is, whatever your sickness is, I'm going to come and I'm going to make it better. And not just a band-aid fix, not just a quick fix, I'm going to heal you so you're not like that anymore. I'm going to make you a changed individual. Think about it. We've got people in our community that are addicted to drugs, sex, alcohol, you name it. They need Jesus. We've got folks in our churches today that are sick with every kind of disease imaginable. We need Jesus. There's people you work with, your neighbors, they struggle, they have hard times, life hits them right across the forehead, they don't know what to do. Folks, a disciple says, we've been changed, we've been transformed to be like my master. And when we see somebody in hurt, what do we do? We help. No strings attached. No questions asked. We help. We do what we can with what we have. And as a disciple of Jesus, we realize that we will be blessed in return. And the good news is you don't have to worry about what that blessing is going to look like. God's in charge of that. And he's going to repay it to you Who knows when, but I guarantee you, it'll be good. 
A disciple of Jesus is one who constantly says, I want to be changed. I want to be molded. I want to be shaped like my master. And when today is over with and we wake up tomorrow, guess what? We need to be shaped and molded again by the master's touch. And it will always be good. Now I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 8. I want you to look, my subtitle says, The Cost of Following Jesus. I want to read verses 18 through 22. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You see how quick they are to come up with everything but following him? Lord, I want to go wherever you go. Oh, really? Okay. Let's see how this is going to work for you. And then when the rubber meets the road, what begins to happen? One excuse after another, just as fast as they can call them out. And I, I want to make this point first from this text. There is a distinction between the crowd and the disciple. Write that down if you're taking notes. There is a real distinction between the crowd and the disciple. You notice verse 18, when Jesus noticed how large the crowd was growing, he told his disciples, we, we got to go. We got to cross over to the other side. I mean, he's been ministering to the crowd near Capernaum. He's healed all these diseases and driven out evil spirits. He's preached and taught the people. And so many of them followed him that they're pressing against him. And then Jesus gave his disciples an order. We got to move to the other side of the lake. You know, sometimes it's real easy just to kind of be part of the crowd, isn't it? Sometimes it's just easy to just be in the crowd, and we want to be close to Jesus. We even want to touch him. But man, I don't know about taking up that cross. I don't know about this denying business. See, Jesus saw something in the crowd that wasn't right. Maybe it's grown too large. But we know Jesus had preached and fed more than 15,000 people at a time when he fed the 5,000 men and their families. But I think as he's looking into the eyes of the crowd, he begins to realize that he observes in the crowd a desire to follow Christ, maybe just based upon the miracles and not out of a desire to change. It's easy to be a part of the crowd even today, isn't it? Jesus, I want to touch you. I even want to be a part of that miracle. But when you ask me to do something, you ask me to change who I am, I don't know about that. Well, we fight that tooth and nails today. The crowd's excited about what Jesus can do for them, but they didn't have a heart to become like Jesus. There's a difference between the crowd of believers and those who are fully devoted disciples of Christ. Think about it this way. The crowd loved Jesus. 
and sought him for the help that he could bring to their troubled lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus loves people and he cares for their injuries and sorrows and he came as a healer and one that can restore people to life. But the disciples had grown from following Jesus out of a hunger of look at this miracle and look at that miracle to realizing, man, I want to go beyond the miracles. The miracle of Jesus is one thing, but they wanted to look deep into that. They wanted Jesus not just the miracle. It wasn't the blessing, but the one giving the blessing that mattered most to them. Think about it this way. The crowd, they loved listening to the teaching of Jesus, but the disciples wanted to think like Jesus and pray like Jesus and be like Jesus. The crowd wanted a Savior to rescue them from all their problems. The disciples, they longed for a king to rule over their life. Everybody wants a savior, but not everybody wants a master and a teacher. Everybody wants a savior, but not everybody wants what he calls us to. Where are you this morning? The crowd received what they needed from Jesus, and then they went on with their lives. But the disciples, they said, we're going to give up everything we have, and we want to join you. We're going to drop our nets. We're going to drop our comfort. We're going to drop what we know, and we're going to come, we're going to come get in the boat with you. You're talking about a step of faith. Because when they stepped into that boat, they don't know the boat. They don't know what goes in the boat. But you know what? It doesn't matter because who's in the boat is the master. Who's in the boat is the one that's driving the boat. And to a disciple, that's what matters. Where are you this morning? Just part of the crowd? Just fitting in? Or have you determined in your life, I really, really want to lay everything at the master's feet and I want to be a disciple. I want to be a student. I want to be one who learns. And you know what, folks? A disciple of Jesus never stops learning. A disciple of Jesus is always wanting to grow more and more. And growing closer to the master. Jesus calls us out of the crowd and into discipleship. I want you to flip over to Hebrews chapter 5 for a minute. As I think about the difference between the crowd and a disciple, I can't help but think about this passage. The Hebrew writer in his sermon, kind of right in the middle in chapter 5, beginning in verse 11... He says this, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant 
It's not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. A disciple of Jesus realizes there's a time to leave the elementary truths. There's a time to leave the baby food, and it's time to grow up. Amen? Maybe, maybe what God is saying to us today as Christians, it's time to grow up. All these things that you've should have known all your life, you're still bickering back and forth about. All these elementary basic teachings, you can't stay on that forever. There's a time where you leave that and you grow to the meat. I mean, if I laid before you this morning a steak versus, I don't know, you fill in the blank, something below a steak, you're crazy if you don't choose the steak. It's better. Or chicken, whatever. I don't care. I know some of you don't like beef. My point is, spiritually, there's a time when we've got to move on, church. There's a time when we've got to say, as a disciple, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to take that cross up. I'm ready to deny. I'm ready to do whatever he calls us to do. And we do that. And so if you look down in verse 19 and 20, to follow Jesus as a disciple means i got to sacrifice a little bit. Look at verse 19. I'm back in Matthew 8. Teacher of the law came and said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Who is this scribe? We don't know. We know nothing of his background, only that of all the other scribes and teachers that followed Jesus from time to time, this is one of the few who responded with a desire, with a heart that says, I want to be like you. He probably didn't have a clue what he was saying, but he had a heart. And folks, let me tell you, when Jesus has your heart, he has it all. He has it all. And yet today, in the lives that we live, man, it is so, so easy, too easy, to give our heart away to this, that, and the other, and everything else. And by the time you get over here to the everything else, there's not much heart left, is there? When in reality, if we would give all heart to Jesus, if we would jump in the boat and say, all in, everything, he's got you exactly where he wants you. And a disciple of Jesus is not afraid, even 
in the unknown to say, I'm getting in this boat and I'm going to follow you because you know what? Even though we don't know where he's going, we don't need to know. We're following the master. And when he's driving, when he's leading, when he's in charge, all he asks us to do is follow suit. That's a heart. A heart that says, I may not know, but I'm going to follow. There's a real importance about discipleship. There's another importance that we'll look at in a few weeks about followship in the kingdom of God. We'll come to that later. But are you willing to pay the price? Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, listen to how he says it. The cross is laid on every Christian. And as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But see, somewhere along the way, we've given up the idea of sacrifice for Christ and we've replaced it with comfortable pews and easy service that when you stop and think about it, really doesn't demand too much from us. And you know what I say to that? Shame on us for buying that. Shame on us as God-fearing people for accepting that. Because when you look at Scripture, He demands all. When you look at a disciple being called to follow, He demands sacrifice, yes. He demands your life. He demands it all. Charles Allen in his book, God's Psychiatry, said it this way. Today we want God's blessing without the pain of God's purging. We want sermons on how to win friends and how to have a peace of mind and how to forget our fears. But we got to remember that Christ came to make men holy rather than merely to make men feel good. Have you purged spiritually lately? What is it right now in your life that you need to just get rid of? Just let it go so you can have more of Jesus. The disciple says, I want it all at the feet of Jesus. So whatever his will is, there's room for more of God's will right here. And all this other, I'm done with it. So when Jesus calls, if you look at this example here, they didn't hesitate. And so when Jesus calls, we can't hesitate. Another disciple said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That phrase is used 
by this man was a common Near Eastern figure of speech that referred to a son's responsibility to help his father in family business until the father died. And then the inheritance was distributed. I mean, obviously, a commitment like that could involve a long period of time, 30, 40, 50 years or more, if the father was relatively young. And so the response given by Jesus indicates that when he calls us to follow, he expects obey without delay. That word, that phrase, follow me, is in the present imperative, which literally says this, today, this hour, I want to follow you and become your disciple. Now listen to that again. Today, this hour, I want to follow you and I want to become your disciple. So I want you to take inventory of your own life this morning. And I want you to remember this as we close. The call of Jesus comes before any other call of this world. Or it should. And so our obedience to him has to take priority over any other obligation or duty that we feel we have. So are you putting Jesus first? I mean, are you paying the price? Or are you just looking for excuses to avoid obeying him? This isn't an easy deal, is it? But when you think about it, Christ didn't call us to an easy life, did he? The life he lived cost him his life. But he went to the cross. And aren't you glad he went to the cross? And aren't you glad that you just have the invitation to be a disciple, to be like him? He could have said it any other way, but his way is, I want you to be like me. So Father, this morning, we look at our own life, and Father, we confess to you There are too many times where we do other things without talking to you first. That we get involved in other things without counting the cost of discipleship. Father, thank you for calling us. And we just pray this morning as we look at our hearts We just pray that we are following you the way you want us to. Father, we're glad that we don't have to be just good enough because we wouldn't make it. But you knew that and you gave us your grace and your mercy and you still still ask us to follow. Bless us, Father. Work on our hearts long and hard. And may we really take inventory of where we are with you. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.